Hey, I just want to take a moment to reintroduce ourselves. My name's Carl. I'm Glenn. And we just actually want to introduce a new segment that we're going to be doing for our podcast, where we basically bring the conversation that we have as a community um, basically into the digital world. And so with that, what we're going to do is take the questions that we talk about as a community and then just kind of engage them together and allow you to listen in. And hopefully that you actually have an opportunity to respond in like comments or even on Facebook or Instagram or any of the other social media presences, spaces or whatever you want to call it that we have. So, uh, but we'd love for you guys to join in. Um, just take our conversation as an invitation for you. So with uh, that, Glenn, why don't you just uh, jump in with the first question. Does the move towards polycentric leadership cause you to worry or to dream? All right. So first, um, well, me and Glenn, we have this habit of using like technical language or theological language that not everybody understands. And so we always have permission to throw up a red card or even a yellow card like soccer. And so I'm going to throw up a yellow card and just ask you to define polycentric leadership for us. Well, fine. Um, Polycentric leadership is the idea that you have multiple centers of authority that get to add their voice to a collective moving forward rather than more of a monocentric or monarchy to where you have one distinct hierarchy that they get to dictate. So when we talk about the polycentric based out of what we've been reading in Ephesians, we get to see a model of multiple voices that have distinctly different ways of viewing the world setting a course for the community's movement. Yeah. And so just like for review purposes, like we're talking about apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. So as we go through APEST, as it's, as it's like the acronym for that. And so it's just different modes of leading within the community and the, their valued gifts to the community. So, yeah. Uh, so that question, the polycentric leadership, does it cause you to worry or dream? Um, for me, I find that as, it's an interesting question because it's one that we're actually working through as a community. How do we actually move from kind of the, the vision for how church leadership has always been kind of like, you know, like the senior pastor model into more of a polycentric model and trying to say, what does it actually look like to have mutuality and to actually have multiple voices represented and try to figure that out within a system and truthfully an economy that says we should have somebody from the top and then it goes down from there, but actually have multiple voices to say these voices matter at the table and in the mm -hmm. conversation. And so for me personally, it causes me to dream more than it causes me to worry uh, because I actually think it's a beautiful future that when we begin to actually build our community, to build FOS from that perspective to say that these the multiplicity of voices matter and that these gifts are part of our community it says, man, like the future isn't something that one person gets to dictate. It's something that we all come together to dream about to say that, man, this voice and this voice and this voice actually makes the future better. So for me, it's something that causes me to dream versus worry. How about you, Glenn? Well, actually, with that answer, I'm wondering um, how have you been processing the tension if you're moving from more of a singular structure to say all these voices matter? You can't have the ability to pull the trump card of saying, one voice matters more than like so have been able to find some equilibrium or balance and representation of the voices hmm that's a good question i think i don't know if i've found balance in it so far but i think that it's been something that i've pushed back on for a long time without necessarily having like good language to actually mm. know why i was pushing back and i, I remember a conversation that we had with uh with another pastor in a church um who basically compared having polycentric leadership with Cerberus 
the the hounds of hell, basically the guardians of Hades. And and I'm like, one, and it since we're pl- throwing cards out, if you forgot your Greek mythology, that is the three headed dog that guards the underworld and retrieves lost souls. So think of a large dog with heads that go in different directions. Yeah, and the point that he was making by using that was that um, having multiple leaders in a community is unnatural. Somebody has to be the head leadership. The buck has to stop with somebody. And I remember when, when that was thrown out into the, into the conversation, when I was, we were talking about mutuality and having a multiplicity of leadership, it was something that was really jarring for, for, for me at least, um, because it was like, it felt unnatural to actually have one head versus saying, no, we should actually share leadership. Um, but it also put us in a trajectory where we were trying to um, maybe assimilate into that culture that says, okay, well, we have one head, we have to have one leader then, versus saying, no, we actually feel that it's actually maybe more of a biblical idea to throw that word out there, um, to have a multiplicity of leadership, to actually say that there are different gifts to the body of Christ and that these gifts are given by Christ, actually, who is the head of the church. And so we actually, I would say, we do have one head, which is Christ, and we have these gifts that Christ has given us to the, you know, given us for the body of Christ. And so not to like throw any one pastor out into the bus, but reality is, is that the tension for me, at least, has always been in that it's felt unnatural to say that I am the head of this church versus saying Christ is the head of the church and that we happen to have a multiplicity of leadership underneath that. And so we're trying to figure out what that looks like, or I'm trying to figure out what that looks like, at least. Uh, I don't know if that answers your question. It does. So we say that we have one head in Christ and we don't body shame. So we have a big body. That works. Yeah. Um, I'd say for myself, I get caught between the worry and the dream because following some current trends in leadership, the notion of network and larger systems of people being able to give voice and govern have showed very positive effect. So in my experience with the church, it causes me to dream and say there is a more beautiful potential in being able to have voices that don't immediately echo mine. So we can be diverse, that we can have things that I could never see. Since my sight is limited, I I would respond to, well, within the APES, probably more around the teacher um, idea. So I may be more attuned to the historical development. And I miss some of the beautiful things happening now because I don't have the eyes of the other people. Um, although it does at times cause tension for me. Because to have voices that don't sound like mine can make us less efficient in how we move forward. And I can value that ability to get things done. So I'm, I'm trying to find within myself the, how do we weight this to make sure there's good representation, the voices can be heard, while not getting stagnated at the table. Yeah, no, that's a good way to put it. All right, cool. Um, so why don't we jump to the next question? Okay. The next question goes more into an experiential moment. When have you experienced a personal, a person calling you back to yourself? And how can we create room for this voice in our community? Mm. So that's a good question. Yeah, I think, like, I, like I grew up in a Pentecostal tradition, right? So <laughs> the idea of like the prophetic voice is like ever present in the Pentecostal tradition. Right? Like if you grew up in a Pentecostal tradition and you haven't had someone come give you a prophetic word, then you haven't grown up in a Pentecostal tradition. I'm just saying. <laughs> but yeah, fair enough. For me though, it's actually been something that I think as as I look back over my life, it's it's been actually very shaping in positive ways. Mm-hmm. Um 
and having to like learn how to tune your the way that you listen to actually hear, okay, like when is a person calling you to like your God created self or, you know, your, your true identity or radical humanity or, you know, things like that. Um, versus when somebody honestly is either a trying to say something nice and just trying to be positive, but it doesn't, it's not really helpful or truthfully when they're actually saying something that is hurtful and not helpful at all and not calling you to something about you know your the true your true self in a sense or or your 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 God created self, and so for me it's been always interesting learning to listen for that tension because I think there's well many people who will will do all three, um, and it's not that someone is like intentionally trying to manipulate you, but reality is I've had like multiple people try to say, um, you know, well let's just say I should have probably twenty wives by now, <laughs> if I was going to listen to all of those prophetic moments. And sometimes in biblical history, that'd be allowed. <laughs> True enough. Um, but the reality is that it's, it's something that has shaped me throughout my entire life. Like I remember I must, I would have been like maybe four years old or five years old and somebody speaking into that saying like, like, like this is what God is calling you towards. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and, and the fact that like, you know, people have given different words, but certain words have just sat with me in my life and rung true to the thing that God is calling me to do. And so like that particular word had to do with a calling towards ministry. And well, like here I am, you know, man, thirty something years later, <laughs> Ooh, getting old, uh, pursuing that calling, right? And and I, and I feel like that was a moment where somebody saw, you know, and and called me, saw something, and called me into something that I wouldn't have been necessarily been able to see myself per se, especially mm -hmm. at that age, mm -hmm. and especially looking back over my life, how that that call, like in the midst of actually like some really dark and negative situations, it's like well this can't be the end or this can't be whatever because I actually haven't stepped into this God created self. So it's, for me, it's been something that's been really, really uh, life giving and shaping for me. Um, yeah. So maybe we can take the second part of that question after, but yeah, no, that that's interesting. Cause it sounds like the, the positive effect of the experience seems to be rooted in an art of listening well, but then trusting your insight to be able to say, are this person striving for my benefit, for my good, or is it reflecting something that they're processing? Because none of these moves ever happen separate from our own experience. We speak, we name, and we know from what we have experienced in life. That even is true for the one saying they believe they heard something from God. They name the God that they've understood. Mm. Um, I've experienced uh, this, and I'd say... When I was about 20 years old, it, it was one of the weirdest things because they had a notion to where we'd have a prayer night. Um, I was sitting in the corner because being raised around it, I didn't actually put much stock in it. And the gentleman walked up to me, hadn't really met me, said, wait, um, I don't really have anything for anyone here but you. Said everything that you knew about God is going to have to be broken so that it can be rebuilt into something that's more healthy. At the time... I kind of brushed it off because it was a little bit bigger than I could realize. And I was like, cool. Everyone thought I was amazing. They gathered around me and said, you handled that so well. And I responded, what was I going to do? He said, I don't see things. He's like, if I don't know what's there, how do I respond to it? And so I just kind of went on my merry way. Um, I wrote down the specifics of what was said to me. But actually, over the last 17 years, I found that all the ways I'd constructed, my construction of God... Um, to quote one of our favorite middle-aged 
middle ages as opposed to middle age and lifespan philosophers who said, God saved me from God. Because he said, the God that I constructed saved me from the God who's actually present. And in that, it was that moment of breaking. And I'd say how we create room for this is not the immediate acceptance or rejection of these statements. It's giving yourself enough time and space to reflect. Because the true weight of the statement spoke to me actually wouldn't have been very real in the first two to three years afterwards. It became more real because it suddenly hit me about 10 years later when I realized what large seismic shifts happened in my own understanding of who God could be. And that largely took shape through the different people I've got to meet. Because if we believe that God is represented in humanity, that we are the image of God bearers, then as we meet more and more of humanity, it should actually expand our vision of who God could be. And it's that continued prophetic voice in my life saying, what I've constructed may not be what is, that has allowed me to have that space. So I'd say for our, for our own community, what I, what I would look for to try to mark, are we doing this well to create space for the prophetic voice in the community, is are we willing to listen well? And in listening well, can we sit, even if like me at 20 years old, the first time it's spoken doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you, but you're okay to ponder it and reflect the years later. Mm, that's good. I think like just even like listening to that story and then also thinking through the message that you that you preached as well. Like you gave the story one of Balaam, who was an outsider that spoke truth um, about the community. But then also your own story there where it said like there was actually space for people to be able to say something to you. Um, and without creating that space for someone to say something to you would be a moment lost. Mm-hmm. And so I th- when I think about like how could that play out within our community, how can we create space in our community, um, I, th- I think it's something that we actually got to give some thought to. How do we actually create space for the prophetic voice within our community, not just from a structural pers- like structural idea, mm-hmm. but actually from a, like, do we create space to listen in our community? Um, could we create lots of space for dialogue and lots of space for other things to happen? Mm-hmm. Do we create space to listen? And then trust that when we're listening, God is going to speak. So I, I don't know, that's something that we, we, we should, you know, maybe we got to play around with. But also <laughs> the other side of it, though, is that creating space within the community for outside voices to be able to speak truth to us, to say the thing that God may be saying to our community. Um, so what, like whatever those outside voices, whether it's mm-hmm. coming from another faith tradition or, or, or another segment of the population mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever that looks like, but actually creating space for them to be present with us in a way that, that honors their voice as some, as something that God could use to speak to us. So I think those are things that we actually need to think about how they land within FOS. Absolutely. So moving on to the third question, what practices enable you to respond to rather than react against the voice calling you back to a radical humanity? Hmm. Yeah. Why don't you take take a first stab at that one? I got I got to chew on that a little bit. Gotcha. Um, I found that difference between responding to reacting has, has been a big one in my life because I can tend to be passionate and then put my foot into the middle of things. If anyone listening um, has to have their brain catch up to their mouth, you feel my pain. But in that, I say the ability to respond to has been an act of learning that I can trust other people. 
that I put faith in what they're saying, what they're hoping to do, their intentions are actually from a beautiful place with them. The way they see God, the way they understand life. So when they're trying to call me back to a better way to be human, it's not an immediate attack against me, but it's them sharing their story with me. Now that's something that may not perfectly resonate with me. I don't have to take the thing wholesale, but I can sit in what they've shared and say, does this call me back to a better way to exist with other people? Mm -hmm. So I'd say the responsiveness has been the ability to see their humanity and realize that, that we're both coming with the best possible intentions, which isn't always true. But I think if we default to trusting the intentions of the other, we'll be better situated to try to hear the hard things they say. Because we don't always see, we don't always hear, we don't always know. So for their voice to be effective, I have to at least take that step of faith to say what they're saying to me is for my good. Hmm. That's good. Yeah. Um, I think like for me, um, the idea of respond versus react um, to the prophet's voice in my own life, I think like just a habit that I've gotten into is, is, is like sitting down with people and, and, I, and I always ask the question, like, tell me your story. Or I'll ask questions that, that help them to share their story with me. Because I think some of the most prophetic moments actually come from sharing stories with one another. Mm. Right? That, that I begin to see um, a person not, not, not by, you know, labels or whatever or categories that like, we put people in. But we actually see them by the narrative and our shared story and our shared humanity that comes out of those stories. And, and so for me, those have been like really big prophetic moments. And so I think for me, the practice that has enabled me to respond versus react has come from asking that question over and over and over again. And like, like just one thing, that, like, a, like a story that came to mind was like just a friend of mine who just shared about her experience within, within the church and, and how hurtful it was and how it's caused her to seek and find community outside of the church. And then, but she shared her practice. She's like, one of the biggest things that I think like I can do for people is to, to, to show them that they're good and that they're, they're loved. And so I walk, I always ask people, I walk up to them and ask people, can I give you a hug? Like, like in her, in her community that she's creating and she's known as the hugger. Like that's, that's her thing. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, I'm like, for me, I'm like, that's, that's awesome. Because literally her voice was, I was, I was hurt by people actually not showing love to me. How can I make sure that people not just hear the words I love you, but feel the words I love you? And that was like a prophetic call for me to say, okay, what are we doing in our community? The way, the spaces that we're building to say, how do we actually make sure people tangibly feel that they're loved, not just hear words and um, phrases about love or whatever like that, but they actually tangibly feel like they're loved. And, you know, I, I'm a big dude, so maybe being the hugger of the community might not be the best thing because... Uh, you know, some people feel a little bit awkward when you envelop them completely. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm a hug. Like, I, like spending time in Hawaii, so like, you know, like it kind of created that hugging culture. And, mm -hmm. and but it's, it's interesting just how people actually. I've never met a person that when you gave them a hug, it didn't shift their, their countenance. It didn't shift the way that they they were standing. And so maybe we need to be a hugging community. I don't know. Maybe it's because you don't come from my hometown. Because I lived in Hawaii at the same time as Carl. And when I went to my hometown, we're very country. We're very more, let's have a handshake and you're good. After a few years in Hawaii, I went home, saw my best friend from high school, gave him a hug. He went stiff, looked at me, said, boy, you've gotten weird. Yeah. His uh, countenance did not change. <laughs> he was kind of scared if he moved, I might do something more odd than hug him. <laughs> there, there's an interesting point to the story you shared, though. 
is that part of the ability to go from reaction to responsiveness is the ability to slow down a little bit. Because to stop and to go from I love you to can I give you a hug is something that you have to pause, you have to break step, you can't just keep going by. And most of our reactions are because we're primed. We have, like Carl said, those labels already in our head. So we're not pausing to see the person. We're saying, I see how you dress, so I know ABC about you. You said you like this politician, this theologian, this author, so I already have a lot of assumptions and I know I'm right. But the responsive act, the ability to say you're known as the hugger, is slowing down enough to see the person and to be in a felt need in that moment. Because reactions are quick. Responses take a little bit of thought. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, well, I think that, that brings us to the end of the questions. I don't know mm -hmm. if you had any follow-up thoughts or comments, um, but honestly, I think that's a great word to go out on. So. And then to stay within the tradition of how we like to, to close the evenings we have, we'll say the benediction over you. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go in peace. Amen.